show is on. Ephemeral is a production of iHeart 3D Audio. The circus of today would generally be considered a lighthearted place. Fun, polite, family-oriented. I've always wanted to go to the circus. But historically, there was another aspect to this spectacle. A more secretive and sometimes darker story. Through the back curtain, past the posters and carnival barker, for a few extra cents, you could gain admittance to a space that questioned the very nature of reality. The sideshow. The sideshow as we know it as this brick-and-mortar, golden era of entertainment certainly had a heyday and certainly had a decline. But it didn't just appear in a vacuum. In actuality, the sideshow itself is an institution that goes back hundreds of years and is continuously evolving and shape-shifting. I'm Robin Miniter, and I am a senior producer over at Grim & Mild. And I'm Taylor Hagedorn, and I am an associate producer at Grim and Mild. Robin and Taylor are the minds behind Sideshow, season one of the podcast Grim and Mild Presents, hosted by Aaron Mankey, which just wrapped its 13-episode run. I've always thought of the Sideshow as a foil for American anxiety. This feeling of getting so close to the subversive, like close enough to be able to touch it to be titillated by it, but also to be able to walk away at the end of the day. Rear hurry, step this way, the strangest sight from the island. Breaks from the four corners of the world. One dime, a tenth part of a dollar. We've got the show if you've got the dime. This impulse to view and also if you have power to put on display and create narratives around otherness, around curiosity, around oddity, Obviously, that precedes the sideshow. It just perfected and codified something that we had always been interested in. While the sideshow has a golden era, there are precedents throughout recorded history. If we want to think about the history of touring acts, there are certain things you can trace back to ancient Greece, ancient Rome, the history of menageries collecting animals for pleasure and then for public display and profit. Also think about folks who would be employed by medieval courts, for example, folks with dwarfism, Siamese twins, people who would act as an oddity for entertainment. And when you have courts who are traveling the world and trying to secure more land and resources for their countries and their kingdoms, part of what they are acquiring are people and things that they deem odd. This traveling otherness that we get from the courts is a really lengthy precursor, but also like a direct ancestor to the sideshow that we get. But the sideshow proper truly began with a single figure. Not just any circus, but the most spectacular of all time. When we think about the inception of the American sideshow in the collective American imagination, we think of P.T. Barnum, and this guy was a mensch in so many ways. You know, he's also a very complicated character that goes without saying. I thus address the world through the medium of the latest wonderful invention, Edison Phonograph, so that my voice, like my great show, will reach future generations and be heard 
centuries after I have joined the great and as I believe, happy majority. He was born in 1810 in Bethel, Connecticut, which at the time was a very agrarian community. Not only was he very creative, but he also used that creative energy and became very, very entrepreneurial. Like he had some grocers. He was trying to sell himself for public office. He was always down with the hustle. The other thing that made him very singular was that he had this acute savvy about human psychology. He was always one step ahead of the desires of those around him. In that way, that made him a very good businessman. He could serve up what people wanted. And he was bringing them what they wanted before they necessarily understood that's what they were looking for. Around 1865, in the throes of the Civil War, the country was radically shifting. We were learning all about Darwin's origin of species. New science was being invented and discovered. The world was expanding in really strange and new ways. And P.T. Barnum, bless his heart, his second great American museum in New York City burns down. And in his mid to late 60s, he decided to take the different exhibits in his museum, including the human acts, and bring them to communities across the country. They snaked across the continent in 50 private boxcars. 1,400 employees put up the big top for the greatest show on earth. The sideshow brought with it an atmosphere all its own. Right now, let's go to the sideshow. When you walked into a sideshow space, the thing you're going to see are these huge posters, six, nine, 12 feet tall, brightly colored paintings. On there, you might see a half man, half snake, an ape woman, the world's tallest man or the world's fattest lady or the world's shortest boy. There was also the world's strongest man the pincushion man, the world's tallest man, and the smallest couple. And then, of course, you have the barker. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Step right up, Somebody who is welcoming you into this world to suspend your disbelief and question, really, what you're seeing. And now, folks, if you'll just step this way... The sideshow traffics in hyperbole, and this was all one big marketing engine. Got a horse with two hands. Got a cow with three eyes. Three horns and three nostrils. Got a chicken in there with a man's face. Though every sideshow was unique, they were each essentially organized in the same way. Sideshow acts are historically categorized into three different boxes. We have the born acts. Got the made acts, got the working acts. And those categories exist historically along a hierarchy, with the born acts being sort of sideshow royalty, kind of at the top of the pecking order. Tell me, have you done much circus work in your life? I was on the stage for most of my life. I was a headliner. Below that, you have the made acts, for example, tattooed ladies. You could walk in off the street and sit for many a tattoo session and then decide to join the sideshow. Then you have, below that, the largest contingency of acts that currently exist in this moment, the working acts. Astounding acts of body manipulation and pain endurance. These are the people who are 
swallowing swords and breathing fire and laying on beds of nails, going to any sideshow. These are the three that you would expect to see in some configuration. Living as a traveling sideshow performer could have its perks. It could also be perilous. Some folks really benefited from this world as a result of the skin suit that they were born in. Meaning, if you were an affluent white person, for example, like Lavinia Warren, even though you were living with dwarfism, you could opt into this institution and know that you're probably going to do okay. On the other hand, in the case of Sarki Bartman, Julia Pastrana, these women who were both indigenous looked different than the colonizer culture that intercepted them. Their existence in the sideshow wasn't so good. In order to really get a grasp on the multifaceted institution that the sideshow was, we need to understand every person's particular experience and the intersections of their lived experience holding it up like a prism and turning it from all of its sides. The Sideshow podcast goes deep into the backstories of characters whose experiences run the gamut. Take, for instance, the case of Frank Lantini. Frank Lantini is born in the 1890s in Italy and had three legs at this time where it's really inhospitable to be any kind of different, particularly with a very visible physical difference. He's called a monster by the person who delivered him, by his neighbors. It was such a harsh existence early on in life, and there was really nowhere that he was accepted. There was no place for him to be other than locked away in an institution. And he didn't want that. Lentini, the three-legged wonder. And so when Frank finds community in the sideshow, he finds, I can be autonomous here. He is traveling throughout the U.S. with his wife, who he's found through Sideshow, he gets to have a family, and he gets to play sports with his friends, and he gets to have drinking buddies, and he even has this one acquaintance who had one leg. And so when they would buy, like, the second pair of shoes, he was a shoe buddy, right? Like, they had the same shoe size, and so Frank was like, hey, man, I got these nice new sandals. Here's the left one for you. That kind of ability to exist as yourself without having to hide at every turn where you are dehumanized by medical professionals and scientists and teachers and midwives and everyone else around you. To be in a place where you are working and you are getting paid and you are also treated as human. Doesn't make the sideshow perfect, but that's pretty cool stuff. Frank is just one example of many, but not all were as autonomous and successful as Frank was able to be. On the other side of the spectrum, you have someone like Julia Pastrana, who was an accomplished multilingual singer, dancer, and performer, born with hirsutism. Julia Pastrana was an indigenous woman, born in Sinaloa, Mexico, covered with dark hair, and immediately ostracized by her community. There are lots of ingrained fears about perhaps why she came to be, and also what she might become. Then, essentially, she was trafficked to the United States for the sideshow. And that is where the sequence of managers begins, and it never ends for her. The stories that were going around promoting her were saying that, oh, there were these hunters who were lost, and they came across this cave, and there's this strange child coming from parentage of a woman and a bear. 
The big thing at that moment, again, the emergence of Darwin's origin of species, a lot of these like highfalutin ideas about evolution and race and hierarchy. This was Charles Darwin's idea, that the living world evolved from lower forms of life. But how that manifests for lay people who aren't going to these stuffy scientific conferences, debating the finer points of the evolutionary theory. As they're going up, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, they're going to see the Barker out there saying, come on, come on, come see the missing link, promoting Julia as the missing link between our primate ancestors and now our very evolved modern selves. It's not just saying, come and look at this woman with a beard. They sort of take the science of the time and fabricate this in-between space that's enticing to people who want to think they are further removed from primates or further removed from the people who they view as savages. Early 1860s, her manager ends up marrying her. When their child is born in the throes of childbirth, mother and child both pass. And he had Julia and their baby taxidermied. Probably the longest career of any sideshow person because she was only repatriated a few years ago. All the while, she's still being exploited. She has toured through the world for over a hundred years. I think that's a very extreme example of unique genetic characteristics destined for the sideshow. For performers like Julia Pastrana, there just appears to be no choice at all. One episode of Grim and Mild Presents typifies this gulf between experiences by looking at three different sets of conjoined twins. Chang and Bunker were brought over from Siam, now known as Thailand, again as an oddity to tour across America. But they eventually were able to more or less enter into high society. They both got married. They had something like 19 children between the two of them. They ended up getting separate houses right next door to each other so they could like split time between the two families. They lived in North Carolina and by all accounts became members of the Southern aristocracy. So they were able to subvert this idea that they were forever going to be an oddity. In the case of Millie Christine, she was born into slavery and was sold when she was 11 months old. That was when her sideshow career began. She was kidnapped, kidnapped a second time. She came home to North Carolina, where it is debated whether she was kept in servitude or if she chose to stay there. Millie Christine did indeed write her own biography that was sold at her show. But when your manager is also maybe your captor, the story is told very differently. But Millie Christine eventually gets her freedom and buys land and brings her mother and father and siblings home. We then have Daisy and Violet Hilton, who appeared in the movie Freaks. Well, well, well. Tomorrow night's the big night, eh, Daisy? Yes, the sister's getting married. And I'm thrilled to death. She thrills at anything. In the 1950s, 60s, the sideshow had so fallen out of favor, their act was no longer learning any money, and their manager abandoned them without a job, without a way out, and without any dollar bills. And they ended up getting a job at a grocery store, and they worked there for a number of years. But when they stopped showing up to work, it took a few days to figure out what had happened and where they had gone. 
and come to find out they had passed away. Together, but alone. That's all to say, just because your body in this world may have looked similar to other folks or other acts does not mean that anyone's experience was going to be at all similar to somebody else's. It had so much to do with race and with class, with circumstance. One unique artifact that remains from this sideshow era is the 1932 film Freaks. Nice to allow our mangy freaks. Which features a litany of real-life sideshow performers. Just as they are represented on the banners, you will see them on the inside. Living, breathing monstrosities. And was the passion project of director Todd Browning, most famous for his 1931 version of Dracula. Aren't you drinking? I never drink. Why? When he was 16, he had literally run away to join the circus. And so I think he had a deep affection and deep affinity for the people that he met there. This seemed like great fodder for a film to be made. It was, from what I understand, the first time that these characters who had long toured in the sideshow really jumped mediums and went from the stage to the silver screen, sort of en masse. Oh, I'm sorry, monsieur. I am Madame Tetralini. These children are in my circus. Children? They're monsters. Oh, your circus. I understand. What an amazing setting. And of course, then you mix in the element of love and murder and intrigue. You can't get away with it. I'll tell the coppers. Sounds like a blockbuster to me. I guess she knows she's got a good act. One of the best in the business. But Freaks, when it was made, it was a total flop. People hated it. At first, I could not believe my own eyes. A lot of horrible, twisted things, you know, crawling, whining, laughing. Bidon, Jean. What were you drinking last night? The reaction was so strong for the horrors that he dared to put on screen that they had to recut it. Freak! 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 Get out of here! Get out, you hunter! Get out! And so in that recutting... Not only do we lose his vision, we also lose a lot of the autonomy of the actors and their characters that they brought to life in the film. Let her try doing anything to one of us. You're right. She don't know what, but she'll find out. Where in the first cut, they might have come across as just a person who happens to have been born with dwarfism. To me, you're a man. But to her, you're only something to laugh at. They still exist as characters with their own agency. And it's part of the setting. Let them laugh. They're swine. They can't hurt me. But in the recutting, they just become archetypes. Oh, let's see what a pretty dress. Oh, how beautiful you look tonight. Like, show me freaks as I want them to remain. Come on. Come on, Venus. The bigger lady's baby's born. The original cut of freaks no longer exists. But there was a resurgence in the 90s. Well, what are you staring at? And enough change within those intervening years that when people found it again, they realized that this was a really iconic piece of cinema history. The most astounding living monstrosity of all time. And in 1994, it was selected by the National Film Registry as one of the most influential films of all time. How she got that way will never be known. So even before Dracula made that registry, 
this movie did. In the mid-20th century, the sideshow as we knew it suffered a decline. The sideshow does not exist like it once did, and there are a few reasons that it declined. One was entertainment innovation. First we had radios, and then we had television, and this all was happening while the golden age of Hollywood was taking off. From what I understand, the film industry was one of the only industries that wasn't greatly impacted by the Great Depression. So folks were able to still go and to be entertained if they had a few extra cents on them. Post-war era, the American highway system totally blew up. More and more people got their own automobiles, and so people were going further afield than they ever had been before. A covered wagon on a modern boulevard is out of place. Old-fashioned transportation on a modern highway. They had some more leisure time, and they were able to go and to seek out other kinds of entertainment. And then around the second wave of feminism, there was more and more conversation around bodies and othering bodies and disabilities. And for the first time ever, with the passing of the ADA, folks with disabilities for the first time were guaranteed work. The sideshow had for a long time been one of the only options. And now there were more options for people to choose from. And so as we went along in the years, the sideshow just became less relevant. With the changing geography, you also have changing social mores. And audiences are kind of becoming a little self-aware and self-conscious about the entertainment that they're ingesting. I think it does become harder for audiences to justify being entertained in these ways, or at least being publicly witnessed to be entertained by things presented in the sideshow. And maybe we still indulge in it and hold on to some of those biases pretty strongly, but we can more do it in the safety of our home and we're not going out with the entire town. Everybody and their brother doesn't know what we're watching on TV or on our phones. We can't maybe be judged for that. But there is a descendant of the sideshow extant today. The sideshow is still here, but it looks a little bit different than it once did. I guess I didn't realize the sideshows were still in existence. There are about two or three of them still around. There is a sideshow still at Coney Island. Coney Island, the world's greatest fun frolic, with its beach miles long, all peppered with people. The place where merriment is king. And everybody in this room has the ability to sign up and to go to sideshow school to become sideshow performers. Today, for the most part, it is a collection of made acts or working acts, fire eaters and sword swallowers and nail bed liars doing some pretty spooky and maybe death-defying things. And as it fades, there is still lingering nostalgia for that brick-and-mortar experience. Nothing that we watch on our phones or computers is going to replicate sitting in the audience. That smell of gas and fire, and as someone's walking over glass, seeing the sweat bead on their forehead. Nothing will take that away, but... I think our curiosity and our voyeurism, we're carrying forward, whether it's a smattering of things now. I don't think we've left that behind, even if these traveling institutions no longer hit the rails anymore. Let's all go to the sideshow. Come on, kids, let's go. At the Super Circus Sideshow, you'll meet a lot of folks you want to know. The fat man, the thin man, the robber man. Show is the best in the land. Let's all go to the side show. Come on.
This episode of Ephemeral was written and assembled by Alex Williams, with producers Max Williams and Trevor Young, and additional editing from Jesse Funk. Hear more from Robin Miniter, Taylor Haggardorn, and the rest of the team over at GrimAndMild.com. And you can find Grim and Mild Presents Sideshow and more podcasts from iHeartRadio on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.